March 24th is a day that every wrestling fan of that era remembers as the day Vince McMahon bought WCW, signaling the end of the Monday Night Wars. Vince bought his competition for mere pennies on the dollar and changed the history of the business forever. But what if I told you that WCW lives on in an alternate timeline? What if I told you that Eric Bischoff was able to lock down a deal to keep the product on television and not be a head-to-head -head competitor with the Goliath that was the WWF? What if I told you the invasion angle never happened? All those questions and more are going to be answered here on WWF. I own WCW. What is the fate of WCW? The very fate of WCW is in my hands. But before we get into the what ifs and the hypotheticals, let's get down to the nitty gritty of the reality of the death of WCW. And it all starts with a merger of AOL and Time Warner because back in January of 2000, those two merged for a deal valued $350 billion. Meanwhile, in 2023, you have WWE and Endeavor merged together to help create a new public stock alongside the UFC, valued at nowhere near that much. It was the then the largest merger in business history. This merger wound up failing in an incredible way with the dot-com bubble bursting in a big way later that year. By the time 2002 came around, the company lost $99 billion. And according to Eric Bischoff, quote, the company failed because of what happened inside Turner Broadcasting after Time Warner bought it. Turner's merger with Time Warner and Time Warner's ultimate merger with AOL was the single largest disaster in modern business history. And WCW was one of the many casualties. And this was kind of the catalyst for all of it. Almost a year later, Eric Bischoff and Fusion Media buy the rights to WCW. This was on January 11th, and there was a press release announcing that they bought WCW from Ted Turner with TBS remaining as a minority interest. Fusion bought the company for a whopping $67 million, and Eric Bischoff mentioned, quote, The deal was announced in January. We had signed a letter of intent. We met with the employees. We held a press conference. We had a call with Wall Street. It was a done deal. We spent the next month or two working out the mountain of legal business details involved in the sale. The closing was set for sometime in April or May. But in the meantime, Brad arranged me to work behind the scenes so that we could position the creative for that eventual takeover. Then comes the worst news possible following their intention to buy the rights to WCW. Is that there was no TV deal in place. On March 19, 2001, Jamie Kellner canceled all WCW television on Turner stations as he became the new head of the Turner Broadcasting System, a.k.a. the Superstation. Eric Bischoff said, quote, we put together the money. We put together $70 million, 60 to $70 million to buy WCW. We went through eight months of due diligence, did a conference call the whole nine yards, made the announcement, went and had meetings with Turner and all the employees, end quote. Hulk Hogan also went on to say in later interviews, that, quote, they didn't want wrestling to be part of their portfolio. That was the original word. They wanted new movies. Turner Classics Movies was the of the week. 
Hulk Hogan went on to say in interviews later on down the road saying, quote, that they didn't want wrestling as part of their portfolio. That was the original word. They wanted new movies, Turner Classic Movies of the Week, and new programming. They did not want wrestling on their network. Dusty Rhodes also went on to say, AOL didn't like wrestling. They didn't understand what brought them to the dance. They didn't understand what built WTBS at the time, Channel 17 in Atlanta. They thought it was beneath them. And then comes the final death knell. March 23rd, 2001. Vince McMahon and the WWF buys WCW for $7 million. The sudden death of WCW was somewhat similar to ECW's final days after the TNN deal fell through in 2001. Because as you might know, there was no such thing as a Netflix or a fight TV for fans to watch their wrestling. And if no one saw your weekly product, well, you're dead in the water. But what if I told you there's an altered timeline where WCW was able to live on? For the sake of conversation, there are two timelines within this hypothetical, and we'll start with Eric Bischoff and Fusion being able to keep WCW, and there's two separate things within that. And we start off with them staying on the Turner family of networks and everything kind of remains the same for a while, but I think obviously WCW says, hey, let's go ahead and pump the brakes on being head-to-head with WCW. Move to a Tuesday night or a Wednesday night show and then move Thunder to Saturday nights, call it a day, and move on because I think that would probably wind up cutting some of your losses and wind up changing the way you do things and making sure that you aren't a competitor but still being able to keep up in the world of professional wrestling. But in terms of landing on another network, I'd firmly believe that it would either be the USA Networks or FX. Why do I say USA? Because at the time, they had just lost one of their biggest moneymakers in the then WWF when they canceled their agreement and Viacom snatched them up back in September of 2000. So the TNN deal was no more than six months old at this point. USA would love to have a kind of potential competitor in WCW. They were their competitor for years. And at the end of the day, who wouldn't love to have the USA network having something like that? WCW could fit extremely well in USA and soften the blow again that losing Raw's war would have caused. Now, the question is whether or not they would have kept a secondary show on there as well, like WCW Thunder or even WCW Saturday Night to a lesser extent. Another one is FX. They were in an interesting space as they hadn't quite broken through yet with programs like Nip Tuck or Always Sunny and had become one of the juggernauts of pay TV throughout the 2000s and early 2010s. In fact, FX, which was owned by Fox, had a strong interest in sports but never truly got, got their claws into it until the early 2010s with the UFC as they were reaching their zenith, but that did not last long as the ESPN family decided to get in on the world of combat sports. But even if they do get that TV deal with TNT or TBS, or even with, you know, Disney FX is that I don't think this would last that long in the timeline of being with FX or USA. And the reason why I think the AOL time Warner merger didn't doesn't kill WCW's TV deal with Turner. This would be a moot point. But without TNT, TBS, you've got to deal with one thing, and it's something that hurt the invasion angle back in 2001. 
is the fact that there were so many big name contracts hanging around from AOL Time Warner, guys like Scott Steiner, Sting, Goldberg, to a lesser extent, Jeff Jarrett, but Jeff Jarrett wasn't going to go anyways. Guys like Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair, the list goes on and on. Getting those guys aboard would have been a tough sell. Fusion had been plenty of money to throw around and could have signed some of those prominent names to this reborn company. That said, they might not have had enough to buy out a lot of the massive guys. These Scott Steiner and Sting would have stuck around. Ric Flair, I wouldn't be surprised if he had gone to WWF shortly after his contract kind of was able to be bought out more by AOL Time Warner and more importantly, the WWF. And losing the star power alone would affect the immediate future of this new WCW because again, you lose a lot of those big draws. Guys like DDP, Booker T, and Jeff Jarrett, no doubters. Lex Luger maybe would have been there for like a time because obviously in 2002, he goes through his issues with Miss Elizabeth and all that stuff that kind of causes him to step away from the world of professional wrestling. But WCW under Fusion would have likely not been too dissimilar to World Wrestling All-Stars in terms of how it would have been produced and booked out. Likely would only do one show a week because Eric Bischoff was always against doing a B-show like Thunder because it caused a lot of conflict in terms of booking. We've heard Kevin Ash talk about that a lot in shoot interviews, but Bischoff said on his podcast, 83 Weeks, credit to Fightful for this quote, the only people that wanted to do this show would be Ted Turner. He was determined to put it on and Bill Burke. Bill wanted to do the show and Bill came out and said, TBS cannot pay for it. So it was more dealing with their stuff out of pocket. And in terms of a long-term ramification, I think this would also affect TNA in terms of existing, obviously, because they weren't a competitor and WW was never a true competitor after 2001 in this timeline, they were more like TNA. The summer of regrets never happens. The summer of no worries never happens. TNA doesn't get off the ground in 2002 because Jeff Jarrett's got a job within Fusion Media and WCW. It's not to say it doesn't exist in the wrestling landscape at all. Because this is a very good chance that within two years of this new WCW moving to whichever network they're a part of, they can't quite capture that lightning in a bottle, be it FX or USA. And it also could have been tough sledding simply because of the fact that maybe that reboot WCW was wanting to do wouldn't have gone off like they wanted to with the big bang. If you don't know about that, May 6, 2001 was supposed to be the relaunch of WCW, a big pay-per-view event over at the hard rock in Las Vegas in front of 3000 people, a very far cry from the days when WCW could sell out the Georgia dome with regularity. The rumors were that Joey Styles and Don Callis, maybe even Jerry the King Lawler, would have been involved on the commentary side. Lawler had quit WWF in 2001 after his then-wife Cat was fired, later returned in November of that same year. So it makes you wonder, how would that have happened? This complete reboot. And would that have hurt WCW more than it helped? Because if you remember in 2000, WCW went through a complete reboot with the return of Vince Russo and Eric Bischoff to the front office as part of creative and dealing with the day-to-day stuff. Many people considered that to be one of the lowest points in the life of WCW, and they couldn't recover from this fall. And that fact, you lose guys like Randy Savage, Hulk Hogan, all just sit on their duff and obviously kind of wait out, see what's going to happen 
in 2001. Obviously, Hogan returned to the WWF in 2002. And it would have felt like you were giving them a half-hearted revival of a company that was just struggling to build momentum already. It's a lot like when you see a nostalgia act perform at a casino. You know, like half the members of the group are dead or they can't perform anymore. So it's kind of your leftovers. It's like the Beach Boys in the 80s. You weren't able to capture that same thing you had way back in the 60s. It's very tough to do. But there's another timeline we haven't gotten to, but we got a glimpse of. And that is WCW living under the WWF, later WWE banner. And what do I mean by that? is the fact that WWE was considering making the WCW part of the WWF family and giving it its own show as a B show or a show, depending on your perspective. But this all came to a head at Tacoma, Washington on Monday Night Raw. It's not long after several WCW stars invaded, Shane O'Mac gets an opportunity to showcase the stars of his company. In the main event of Monday Night Raw emanating from Tacoma, Washington, they went full bore. To their credit, with WCW logos, commentary, Scott Hudson, Arn Anderson certainly appearing, and two homegrown talents fighting for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship in Booker T and Buff Bagwell. Obviously, Booker T was the main character of this entire invasion story, being up against the face of the company in Stone Cold Steve Austin. And this was pretty much going to be considered a pilot episode, a lot like what we saw in, I believe it was 1997, when they tried to do the WCW Nitro and then NWO Nitro, making that a pilot for what would become WCW Thunder. But this wound up not being the case, and it goes down as one of the worst matches in the history of wrestling for a good bit of people, even though I think a lot of other matches, especially some of the last three years, have been worse. It's bad, but it's not that bad. I mean, it was so bad, in fact... Buff Bagwell was later fired, more because of his mommy deciding to jump in on the situation, him having a bad attitude. But what's crazy is, we don't have to think that hard about this, in terms of, what if this didn't get panned? What if this wasn't considered one of the worst matches in wrestling history, and more importantly, wasn't a stinker that wound up giving Vince McMahon cold feet, and he left WCW at the altar, in terms of, Making in terms of shifting things around and making a part of the invasion angle and later WWF winning in the Survivor Series winner-take-all match. Dave Meltzer, in fact, brought this up in the July 19th, 2001 Observer, saying that the original plan had been for WCW to have some exposure on WWE television through some interpromotional matches to the upcoming Invasion pay-per-view, and then an angle would be done the next night on Raw, with Vince and Linda McMahon having a quote-unquote divorce hearing and splitting everything down the middle. Vince would lose Raw to Linda, who would in turn give it to Shane, and then Raw would become the WCW show, preferably Nitro. That week, there would have been a draft. Then WCW could have taken some of the top names to help carry that brand from there, WCW and WWF would be kept apart. They would begin touring regularly in October, and WCW would have its first pay-per-view then, possibly Halloween Havoc. Meanwhile, WWF would continue on SmackDown with their own pay-per-views after that, and eventually, once WCW had fully established itself as a strong brand, they would come back together for more interpromotional matches, and I'd say that probably would be by the time we get to WrestleMania. 
And the fact there was a plan to have that, it makes sense because you, if WWF did buy WCW and they went with a second brand and having that live on, that would be a great thing for the brand and the legacy of WCW. But how would that work? Because the biggest issue is how long that split would be kept separate because obviously the WWE has done this multiple times with the drafts. And just eventually that line gets blurred so much, it's just thrown aside and it's not really used as part of a consistent model of storytelling. But to be honest, it'd be interesting to see how WrestleMania 18 would go, especially with the NWO and others joining the fold once the calendar flips over to 2002. You'd probably still wind up with Hulk Hogan versus The Rock, possibly the main event this time instead of Triple H, Chris Jericho. You'd probably put Stone Cold Booker T, because those who have been going at it since June, I'm sure that would wind up being a great blow-off match at WrestleMania. And in my world, Sting vs. Undertaker has to happen. No doubt in my mind. I want to get into more of this, but I'm going to go off into a tangent that might just be for another episode in the WWF lore. That said, to wrap things up in a nice little bow, the death of WCW was simultaneously the best and worst thing for professional wrestling because it caused fans to leave in droves and in some cases never come back because of the storm that was Stone Cold walking out, The Rock going Hollywood, and the business as a whole cooling off from a high that it never would be able to replicate again and not having true top stars. Sure, there were guys like John Cena, Brock Lesnar, Randy Orton, and Batista, guys who, for lack of a better word, could carry the company for 20 years, but they weren't quite there yet. Brock was, Cena, Batista, Orton, they were a far way away from being those guys. In terms of WCW existing, if they were able to live on, I don't know how long they could have lasted. I'd say at least... A year, at most, two and a half to three years is how long I would give them to last, depending on which company sticks around with them. If it's TNT, TBS, maybe longer. But I think anybody else outside of that, it would have been a tough sell. And also, you wouldn't have some of those big stars to carry your brand. Maybe, just maybe, you get some of those up-and-comers from the independent scenes that were kind of starting to bubble, take some of the shine away from ring of honor. Would you push AJ styles to the moon? Like TNA did. There's a lot of questions within this world, but I'm just here to tell you that WCW lives on in an alternate timeline, at least for a few more years. And that my friends is WWF where we break down all the great. What ifs in the sport of professional wrestling. If you like this podcast, go ahead and subscribe to us and go ahead and leave us a five-star review if you have us on iTunes or Spotify. We're available everywhere, so make sure you get your podcast about the what-ifs in professional wrestling right here on WWF.